you guys, since we can't get it up on the screen, since you guys, if you have a Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 3. And as we get going in this first section of Revelation, uh, we are going to start every sermon praying a prayer together. And I'm sorry that the screen's not working because uh, I wish that it was because then you guys would be able to see what we're going to pray together. And uh, if not, it's okay, you guys, we can, we can figure it out in weeks to come. But this prayer is a prayer of reminder. We, we have learned as a church that over and over it, it's a good thing to be reminded and it's a good thing to be reminded of Christ and all that He means in our lives. And, um, and this sermon series, Revelation, is entitled uh, A Letter from Jesus About Jesus for Churches in Crisis. And this is vastly important for us that we kind of keep this idea before us. And this prayer will also become a constant reminder uh, to us of who God is and who we get to be. And as we get into this vision that Jesus has given, um, there will be a temptation to get away from this. Many errors have been, many errors have been made uh, by not paying attention to Jesus, and but looking at the clouds and looking at different things that are coming in, and what are the pale horses, and what are the sly, uh, the what what are the um, you know seals that are going to be unveiled? But we get to look into Jesus' vision that's given by John, and there will be uh, there will be one more than one part in this entire sermon series where we'll need to keep an idea in front of us, that it's, that it's about Jesus, so that we don't get tempted, tempted to um, major in the minors, basically, because there's a lot of stuff in here. So here's the prayer, and maybe I, you guys can see it if I do this. Can you see it on the screen behind me? Okay, so this is the prayer. And if you guys, we're going to do this every Sunday, if you will stand with me, and we're going to pray this together. And it says, glory to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keeper of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. Let me just dive right in, and we're going to read Revelation 1, 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This book is about the further revealing of Jesus Christ, who he is in our lives and what he means for us in our day-to-day business. And this shows us that this, this is not John's revelation. There are some people that say, well, this is John's revelation of Christ. No, this revelation was given to us by Jesus Christ. And John is just merely the scribe or the reporter or the witness of what is going on here. And he's instructed to write down what he sees so that we might have a fuller and a bigger picture 
of Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he means to us in our day-to-day lives. I believe these verses, these three verses, are an anchoring text for the entire book of Revelation. We get to remember who the book is about, who sent it, why it was sent, and how much of a blessing and a commandment it is to us. One commentator said, these verses discourage futuristic views that come with revelation. They, they, they plant us in the present. They plant us in knowing who Jesus is and seeing how important he is for all things. And I believe, again, that these three verses will be an anchoring text for us through this entire book. We will be plunged deep into a vision, a vision that is not always as clear as we may like it. John shows us some things that he writes down, and, and honestly, some Christians have avoided this for years because of the mystery, because of the oddness of the book, maybe even because of the violence that is in the book of Revelation, Um, whereas others have made absolutes. They've read Revelation literally, and they've written books and movies about it, and they've seen that um, this is what it is supposed to be, and and yet um, God the Father is concerned with how we view Christ because he's concerned with how and who we worship. He wants us to worship in spirit and in truth, not to dip into fear other than the fear of God, but rather have the faith and the confidence to follow Jesus no matter what may come. Whether we die a natural death or the death of a martyr, God wants us to remain in Christ for all times. And there are a few things that stand out in these verses that will help anchor us and help not get us off course and not allow us to just drift away from Him. The first one really is that Jesus is our focus and our center. That God sent His one and only Son and that He wants us to have a more complete vision of Jesus so that we might follow Him and in following Him we see Him and we worship Him. God desires this for us. He wants us to know and have hope in Him and Him alone so that this, as this um, letter is given, if we remember that God wants us to know all that is contained in this revelation, that will be tremendously helpful. Some things that uh, as we get into it, they might confuse us, but at the same time, we just need to understand that God is revealing Christ to us through this text, and that is vastly important. This text also uses the word soon. It says, this must take place soon, and for the time is is near. And I believe this has added to the confusion over the years. I've heard preachers use these verses as a way to keep us in check. Make sure that God doesn't catch you sinning because he's coming back soon. Just read the first verses of Revelation. Or that we might, um, that we might just um, have fear that like this, this massive vision that we're about to dive into, that it's coming soon. And I'm, I don't know if many of you guys, maybe I should do this with the smoke in the air. How many of you guys saw a blood red moon in the last week? right? It can be spooky. We can, we can just say, see, it's happening. It's near. Here's a helpful hint. It always has been happening soon. 
It always has been happening soon, and I believe that it always will happen soon. I believe much of what takes place in the book of Revelation has actually historically already happened. Maybe not in its final form, but certainly there are places where the church has been in trouble, just as the church is in trouble today. The first century churches were seen as atheists, seen as people who don't believe in God because they, and they were persecuted for it for not believing that the Roman emperor was the supreme God and ruler and they didn't worship at the, the temples in Rome. And they were burned at the stake. Tremendously, I mean, to the point where a whole city was lit, lit up by burnt Christians. They were hung on crosses. They were boiled alive. They were fed to lions and other wild beasts. They were used in games just to slaughter. They were even um, persecuted in such ways that they had to go into hiding in catacombs. Much of the persecution that churches, um, that churches has seen over the years has already taken place. What we see in the book of Revelation and the persecution um, would have been very relevant to first century and second century Christians. In fact, any church history book worth, worth its printing will show that the church has endured through following Jesus, that the, the church has endured very real and very metaphorical uh, end times a lot. They've endured a lot of persecution. The letter to the seven churches and all that is contained in them is applicable to each and every age that the church has seen and that the church will see. If we are being honest, then soon is always near. Soon is always near. And the church has always been tempted to fall away from Christ, to stop following him, to get our eyes off of him and look in other directions. Satan and fallen angels and the world and our flesh have been constantly trying to drive a wedge in our worship of Jesus. This is for individuals, but is also for the larger church culture. It's not always governments that do uh, the work of the world that are, are, are persecutors, although that is happening. It's not always evil men or women who do evil deeds. Oftentimes, there can be even things like boredom. That in boredom and um, complacency that attempt to lull us to sleep so that we don't stay awake to worship Jesus. Comfort and lack of need can also be an antichrist of sorts. And we need to be awakened. Thus, the visual book that Jesus gives us through his revelation is meant to keep our eyes trained and focused on Christ no matter what comes in this world. Many Christians throughout the ages have been persecuted and put to death for their faith. And by the way, this is happening right now in this world. That is one reason why we as Grace and Mercy support Voices of the Martyrs, because we want to honor these Christians who are dying for their faith, even though we are not. We know that Revelation might make, parts of Revelation might make better sense to those Christians who are suffering and the different Christian groups throughout the world. God is concerned with our longevity as his saints. 
He wants us to last through any trial and any tribulation and anything that the world may throw at us. He wants us to last and our faith to last until He comes. He wants us to face even death and still remain in Christ. He wants us to fight through the boredom and complacency that haunts us and is trying to lull us to sleep. He wants us, and, and thus, as we fall asleep, we leave Jesus. God wants us to remain in Christ and to worship Him and to follow Him with all that we are. This vision is given, and the time, of frame, the, the time frame of it is given so that we might remain awake and attentive to the works of Jesus in our lives, in our times, and even in our churches. Eugene Peterson writes in his book, Reversed Thunder, and I would recommend that to anyone who wants to just dive into this a little further. The intent of Revelation is to put us on our knees before God in worship and set the salvation-shaping words of God in motion in our lives. In other words, this worship that we have and this book shows us that we are in need, that we are desperate, desperate need for Jesus and in desperate need of the humility that it takes to follow him that is needed for worship and following Christ. The bigger picture of Jesus that we get in Revelation allows our worship to become fuller, our insights to become more of who Christ is and what he means in this world. And the bigger our picture of our Savior is, the more that we worship. The more that he saves us from and to, the more our worship will come out in our daily lives. Now, this, this text here mentions angels. And I'd like to do a quick word uh, on angels. Because um, we will see angels over and over and over and over in this book. We will see them repeatedly as they are here in the opening verses. And I want to be clear. I believe in angels. I believe most of you guys do as well. We don't, um, we don't major in angels. We don't worship angels. Even the, some of the angels in the book of Revelation say, whoa, don't worship me. Worship, worship Jesus. And I believe that they are real. I believe that angels can reveal themselves. And I believe even possibly, most possibly, many of us have seen angels, but we just didn't know about it. That we didn't know about it. Well, we were talking this week, um, uh, I've talked to a number of people this week, and, and I asked about angels, and people would say, I don't know if I've ever seen an angel, but I believe I've seen a demon or a fallen angel. And uh, I believe in demons as well, demons, fallen angels, as well as ones that haven't fallen. And I believe that uh, as I contemplated this, I believe that the, the fallen angels, that their job is to get us away from Christ to have us stop following us, to cause so much fear that we just believe our fear over against the truth that Christ would have for us. And I believe that if we actually saw God's angels in full light of who they were, we would fall in fear of that as well. And so they, I believe that they maybe mask themselves in different ways because Scripture says that we, we, we may entertain angels even and be unaware of it. But demons are trying to actively drive this wedge in us. And fear drives a wedge better than most any other motivating tools that they have. 
And so that's why they're always revealing themselves to us. But as we'll be able to see throughout Revelation, these fallen angels do not win. Praise be to God for that. They do not win. And this gives us confidence to say that. And angels that serve Jesus serve in different functions. Throughout scriptures, we can see that some angels are warriors who will ride out with Jesus or ride to the rescue. We'll see that some angels are messengers of God simply presenting a message like they did to Zechariah and like they did to uh, Mary about the coming of Jesus. Some angels that we see are worshipers who never leave the throne of God, who never leave the throne when we're constantly bowing down and worshiping him. And I believe that there is room to believe that angels are over such areas like they're over like a, maybe a spirit over an area. Like it, it even says in the scriptures, like to the angels of the seven churches. That's what it says in Revelation. So I believe that there's room to believe that angels or even uh, uh, different principalities are different over different areas. I believe that um, possibly that angels can protect people. I believe that they, they do this. And I've prayed ever since Hadassah was a young child, I've prayed that God, will you please send angels to watch over my children? Will you please stop? Or will you please have angels to protect my children? And as real as I believe angels and demons are, we don't major in them. We don't, I, I don't personally have any painting, uh, uh, paintings of angels in my house that I'm aware of. Uh, we don't major in them. We keep our eyes focused on Christ. And this is going to be important for us because there is a lot of angel stuff going on throughout the book of Revelation. A lot of angel stuff. And it's tempting to figure out what they're doing or what they look like or maybe even paint a picture of them. But we get to have our eyes fixed on Christ at all time. Some of these angels serve Jesus and we're grateful that, for that. And fallen angels try to take us away from Jesus. And in Jesus' name, we rebuke them in our lives and pray that their purposes will be thwarted and we will see things that only angels have seen as we go through Revelation. Maybe even things that only they can understand. But let us never take our eyes off Jesus, even though there's all this angelic activity. The word soon keeps us attentive to Christ. Angels keep us aware that God's kingdom is much different than ours. I believe that these angels are principalities, that they, they, they are supernatural beings, that they can do some interesting things to be sure. But here we can see that God is trying to awaken our imagination to see him more clearly than our logic or our reason will allow us to see. However, even in this, what we are given is a vision. This revelation is not just so that we may know it, like we have the information stuffed in our head. It, this vision is meant to be lived. It's meant to be lived and obeyed. It's meant to become a part of us as, and become a blessing for us. God wants us to be blessed. And even when we walk through trials, God wants to bless us. We learned through our times in the Psalms that blessing and persecution oftentimes come side by side, one after another, in step with each other. We learned 
we learned that through our time of Psalms. God also wants to bless his children. And he knows, he knows that the biggest blessing will come as his children learn to speak, learn to hear, and learn to do what Jesus has for them. There's a way here as we look at verse 3. There's a way to read, there's a way to hear, and there is a way to do that doesn't involve the heart. And it will take, I will take reading as an example because I love reading, because I've uh, devoted probably more time than I should to reading. Uh, I understand it maybe better than I do listening. I know that there are re- ways to read that are helpful. I know that there are ways of reading that is also not helpful that can maybe concrete us in a, a view that maybe we aren't supposed to have. As, as we read, as I've interacted with several types of readers over the years, this verse, particularly verse 3, has made more sense to me. There are those who read because they want to learn. They come to any text to be humble and to be taught and to learn, but they also come with wisdom to be able to discern uh, what needs to be held onto and what needs to be let go of. And they, and they come to a book with humility and pliableness that'll allow the information that they receive to transform their lives. With time and wisdom and practice, they don't believe everything that they read. They're able to see the different things and they'll be able to test it against what is true and what is right and what is Christ-like. And they'll be able to read from all different perspectives and gain something from each one as well as dismiss what needs to be dismissed. Now, there are those who read uh, uh, and this, this was me for a long time, they only read books that they assume will agree with them. They only read one type of book. Or, and, and I did this for years, and I, did, I, I didn't have time to read things that I might disagree with. I didn't have time to sift through any information. I just wanted to be confirmed in what I thought and what I feel in my estimate, in, in, and in my estimations, I knew that if I read certain people, they would agree with this whole framework that I had out for myself. So in this type of reading, it really lacks humility and it lacks objectification or uh, objectivity. It is often narrow in scope, and although you can be a voracious reader in this style, it's, and it seems deeper than it actually is. If you are not being really tested or challenged, even and you're only being affirmed, even if you pick up tidbits along the way of helpful information, I believe that this is an incorrect way of reading because it doesn't involve humility. And then there's also a way to read where you check out. You just check out. You get lost in a reality that isn't yours. And it's like watching a TV or a movie, except it's, it's better because it's a book. And so um, you, you, get, you get lost in it and you just become numb. So you don't even pay attention. It's not transformation. It's just entertainment. We need to be the type of readers. We need to be the type of hearers and the type of doers that are humble and wise. As we follow Jesus, we, only, we don't only want to speak about him. We also want to hear what he is telling us and put what we know, what we hear, what we speak into action. John witnesses to us in this letter 
of revelation and then we witness to the world what who Christ is. And this shows us that even as soon is always soon that we get to apply our faith to our life. Everything, I, I firmly believe this, everything in Revelation is applicable to us today. It is written so that we might hear it, so we might hear it not only with our ear ears, but the ears of our spirit may be sparked by something that God wants to say to us because he will say something to us. That we speak it. And as we speak it, we're not just using mere words. We actually have some life behind those words. And that we do it. And we don't just do it out of religious obligation, but we do it because our heart is behind it and we just want to follow Christ. That we might live for Christ more readily because we have spoken and read and heard and do these words that He has for us. I'm deeply convinced that this book is written so that we'll be better disciples of Jesus Christ today. That we might see His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and in this we have our part to play and we can play it. This vision that is given to Jesus, then given to John, and then to us, gets to be soaked up and become a part of who we are. We get to meditate on these words and allow them to become a part of us. Verse 3 shows us that God isn't simply concerned with what we know, but also with what we speak and how we live. And we get to live the Jesus life, the Jesus way. And I pray, grace and mercy, church, that as we go through this letter and go through this vision, that we let that happen to us. That we be anchored in Jesus Christ in all that we say, in all that we hear, in all that we do. And that we may offer glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit that we will see that as it was in the beginning, it will be now and it will be forever, that we will be blessed readers and hearers and doers of this world, of this word, and that whether we die a natural death or the death of a martyr, that we will hang on to Christ for everything that we are. Jesus, I thank you for these words. I thank you that you anchor us in you because you are our anchor. May we never forget that. May we constantly remember that. May you do that work in our heart and our soul through this book. In Jesus' name, amen.